0: You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York.
1: In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I love. said, "You return that I might
2: live in my father. Pharaoh had it right. And thus by Pharaoh giving him this name, he was confessing that everything Joseph was and had become was in accordance with God's will, in God's power, And what a testimony that was. This was a pagan king's testimony. Isn't that an amazing thing? Oh, if the same thing could only be noted in all who have taken the name of Christ. Have you ever had a nickname? Where did it come
0: from? What did it mean? Joseph was given a special name too by the Pharaoh himself. In today's message, Pastor Mike goes into detail about the name Joseph was given by the Pharaoh and how the name meant that God's will was done in and through Joseph's life. Isn't that incredible? The Pharaoh was a God in his own eyes. We all need to strive to live lives that say, God's will is being done in and through my life, just like Joseph did. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Genesis chapter 41 as he continues his message, The Secret to Joseph's Character.
2: Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, how? Looking unto Jesus. Don't ever take your eyes off of him, the author and the finisher of our faith. You see, that's where Joseph found his strength to triumph in spite of all of his circumstances, all of the trouble, all of the problems that he had to face and endure, and having triumphed, he would continue to look to God and therefore go from strength to strength. And it's quite remarkable. I mean, you know, think about this. It was quite remarkable for Joseph to go from strength to strength in adversity, but think about this. Maybe you've never even considered this before. It's even more remarkable that Joseph continued to look to God in prosperity. Think about that. Because promotion can ruin people. It could cause them to forget God. Because now I don't have any time for God, the things of God. Hey, you know, uh, I've moved on. I've moved up. I have a new image to keep up. There's new activities. There's, I need to advance myself socially. I need to promote my career. I need to forge new relationships. Listen, Christians can become impoverished by prosperity and brought low by promotions. So a word of caution to the wise here. You know, it may be even more dangerous than being in adversity. And the same thing can happen to nations. I mean, think about it. This is one of the reasons why I think our United States of America has ceased to be a godly nation. You know, there was this French political thinker and historian who said, and I quote, it wasn't until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits aflame with righteousness that I understand the secret of her genius and power. America is great. This is the conclusion that he came to. America is great because she is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. And you know what's happened, folks? We've turned their backs upon God. We've sown to the wind, as Hosea puts it, and now we're reaping the whirlwind or the consequences of that poor choice. We've grown and become affluent, powerful. And to continue on that course, America has forgotten God. We're too busy working towards those other things. And listen, gang, When we leave God out of our lives, we begin to lose touch with those things that are good. And thus it tears away at the fabric of our morality. But Joseph was not like that. He didn't say, you know, I'm sitting pretty now, (laughs) all going my way. The world is all mine to enjoy. No, even in prosperity, he had his eyes upon God Still, And thus the next thing we hear Joseph say, after interpreting Pharaoh's dream, being made prime minister, after being married and having two sons, I mean, his life is really flourishing. Let's jump ahead now, verses 51 and 52. What does he say? And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. And the name of the second he called Ephraim, for God, notice, that's where his focus is, for God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. God made me, God made me, God made me. You see, he never lost sight of God. He was always looking to God. He kept his eyes on God and therefore maintained his personal morality and faithfully executed the responsibilities that were given to him. And listen, isn't this exactly the point? I mean, if you were to live for God in either adversity or prosperity, it must be by the power of God in your life. Because each is equally dangerous, adversity or prosperity. Either will wipe you out if you allow that to happen. So what do we need to do? Be a Joseph, who was so Christ-like. Think about it. Joseph was so Christ-like. Remember early on in our series, when we first was introduced to Joseph in the sequences or in the progression of our series in the book of, of uh, Genesis, sort of like we went from uh, one of the other main characters was Abraham, and we spent several months on considering Abraham, and then, we were introduced to some others in our cast of characters. There, were, there was Noah, there was Enoch, the name of Adam and Eve, and you know, all of the other characters in the book of Genesis. But then as we moved into Joseph, and on, uh, in that first message where we were first introduced to Joseph, I had suggested to you, and this is true throughout and consistent through the book of Genesis, there are many types in the book of Genesis. And in the introduction of Joseph to you, I had mentioned that Joseph, if you think about it, becomes a type of Jesus Christ. F.B. Meyer is really good uh, to draw our attention to this fact. And anything you can get your hands on, by the way, that was written by F.B. Meyer, I would extremely encourage you to do so. Uh, He's written many books on the different characters of the Bible, like, for example, Abraham, Uh, He has a complete volume on Abraham. He has another volume on Joseph. But anyway, uh, F.B. Meyer says concerning this point, and think about the similarities between the two now. It's really amazing. Joseph was rejected by his brethren, his brothers, sold them into slavery, remember? Jesus by the Jews. John's Gospel in chapter 1 says he came unto his own and his own received him not. Uh, So Jesus by the Jews his brethren according to the flesh. Joseph was sold for 20 pieces of silver to the Ishmaelites. Jesus was sold by the treachery of Judas for 30 pieces and then handed over to the Gentiles. Joseph was cast into prison. Jesus abode in the grave. Joseph in the prison was able to preach the gospel of deliverance to the butler. Jesus went and preached the gospel to the spirits in prison. The two malfactors of the cross find their counterpart in Joseph's fellow prisoners, the cupbearer and the baker. Joseph, though a Hebrew by birth and rejected by his own brethren, nevertheless was raised to supreme power in a Gentile state and saved myriads of them from death. Jesus, of Jewish birth and yet disowned by Jews, has nevertheless been exalted to the supreme seat of power and is now enthroned in the hearts of myriads of Gentiles to whom he has brought salvation from death and spiritual bread for their hunger. After Joseph had been for some time ruling and blessing Egypt, his very brethren came to him for forgiveness and help. So in days not far away we shall see the Jews retracing their steps and exclaiming, As thousands of Jews are even doing today, Jesus is our brother. So all Israel shall be saved. We have now, therefore, to think of Jesus as seating on his throne, prime minister of the universe, the interpreter of his father's will, the organ and the executor of the divine decrees. On his head are many crowns. On his finger is the ring of sovereignty. On his loins, the girdle of power. Glistening robes of light uh, envelop him, and this is the cry which precedes him, bow the knee. Do you see the similarities between the two, or is it just me? It's crazy, isn't it? So Joseph becomes a type of Jesus Christ. So be a Joseph, if you will. And it's interesting also, notice in verse 45, go to verse forty. just to validate what I've just suggested to you, go back to verse 45 of our, in this chapter. And notice the word, and this was the name that Pharaoh gave him, Zapnathponia, okay? I've I've tried to pronounce it phonetically. Zapnathponia, right? Which translates savior of the world or revealer of truths or God's word speaking life. And if you think about it, each one of those names can simply and also be applied to Jesus Christ. Now, this came forth from a pagan's king's mouth. Isn't that an amazing thing? Just something I want to draw to your attention. So anyway, remember Joseph had said that his ability to interpret dreams was not his, but God's. So Pharaoh had it right. And thus by Pharaoh giving him this name, he was confessing that everything Joseph was and had Become was in accordance with God's will and God's power and what a testimony that was. This was a pagan king's testimony. Isn't that an amazing thing? Oh, if the same thing could only be noted in all who have taken the name of Christ. Each one of us, that those that are outside of the church looking in, people that we come into contact with, People in our sphere of influence, maybe at our places of employment, members of our immediate family, would see these things in us. The excellent character. Now this brings us to our last and final point. And and actually, the point that I want to make has to do with what is recorded for us at the end of this chapter, here in chapter 41. Because there we are told... How the seven years of plenty, remember the interpretation, Joseph said, okay, so during the seven years of plenty, okay, make sure that you go throughout all of the fields, gather all of the grains, all of the agricultural produce, store it away so that you prepare for the next seven years of famine, which was to follow, and then during those seven years of famine, you'll have food that will sustain you during that period of time and so uh, we're told how the seven years of plenty was followed by seven years of famine but nevertheless there were those although worn by joseph who hadn't prepared for the seven years of famine you know let's bring this down to personal terms you know you've heard me say this last sunday was our first service of the new year right And I mentioned, you know, this could be the final year. This, in fact, could be the year where Jesus comes back for his church and then we're out of here. It's going to be some year. Why not 2019? Would that be cool? Or you want some other things to happen? You want to get married first or something, have a couple of kids? (laughs) I understand that. I understand that. You want to graduate college, whatever. Those are, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. But you know what? One year he's going to come back. Maybe it'll be 2019, maybe it'll be 2020, who knows? But but remember, I suggested to you, and I asked you the question, are you ready if the Lord, in fact, comes back this year? Are are there things that are encumbrances to you that are standing in the way that if the Lord came back, you would be like the, the five virgins who didn't have oil in their lamp and their wicks weren't trimmed? Remember in that parable that Jesus spoke. The five who were ready went in. There were 10 of them in all. Five were ready, five were not, right? And uh, are you ready if the Lord should come back this next year? Something to think about. So Joseph, and so this is just something about our human nature. We think that, you know, we've heard it all before. Yeah, we heard about the rapture of the church. I've been walking with the Lord now for 40-something years. And, and uh, when I first gave my life to the Lord 40-something years ago, the pastor was talking about the rapture. It's 40 years. The rapture hasn't happened yet. Although there were times between in that 40-year period where I thought the rapture was gonna happen. Like for example, when we got hit with an earthquake up in Alaska, I thought that I thought that was it. I thought we're out of here, right? Maybe you felt that way. Some cataclysmic event had taken place in your life, but it's gonna happen. Are you prepared? Are you ready? It's just something about human nature. We think, oh, we got time. There's time that's still, you know, we're going to get around to it one day. But you know what happens as Christians? We never get around to it one day. And we remain the same. We become hindered in our relationship with the Lord. We never get it going in the direction that it needs to go. We never go on to maturity, as the Bible encourages us to do. And we're stuck in neutral. The worst place to be, a bunch of, fence sitters, you know? Man, we need to make that commitment. I love what um, um, our sister told me today when she walked in, Regina. I was going to have her stand and and share with me, but she has a new vision for 2019. I'm not going to embarrass her. I probably already embarrassed her. I was going to actually make her stand and tell everybody what that vision was because it's the right one, and it's her commitment this new year to take advantage of every opportunity that she has to go on and walk in a relationship with the Lord, which includes our midweek services on Thursday evenings. And she was here last Thursday. I want to encourage you guys, get on out. If you're only here on Sunday looking to, to me to spoon-feed you the Word, and you're not regularly in the Word, taking advantage of all of the opportunities there are, you're missing out on it. You're gonna, no wonder you remain a babe in Christ. No wonder you're never going on to maturity never becoming the man or the woman that God wants you to become. Okay, so thank you for allowing me to get that off of my chest. I feel a lot better now. So we're there with those. Let's get back to our message. Although warned by Joseph, who hadn't prepared for the seven years of famine. And so they came, notice in verse 55, they came to Pharaoh crying out for food. And what was Pharaoh's reply? Verse 55, what does he say? Go to Joseph. And whatever he says, you do. Now remember, Joseph is a type of Jesus Christ. Now I'd like to make this parallel. Today, the world's rulers, scientists, uh, economists, have looked into the future and they have been given visions of a world famine, global warming, runaway population growth, and exhaustion of the world's material resources and energy supplies. They've been speaking about biological terrorism and nuclear war. You see, the nations have forsaken God, and he has brought them to the brink of disaster. But despair is not necessary, because God's man, Jesus, has come. And just as Pharaoh told the starving, worried people, of his day in Egypt to go to Joseph, so does the king of glory command men and women to go to Jesus. Listen, are you hungry for spiritual things? Well, Jesus said of himself in John's Gospel in chapter 6 in verse 35, I am the bread of life. Are you thirsty? Jesus says, if any thirst, let him come to me and drink. John's Gospel in chapter 7 and verse 37. Remember the the Samaritan woman at Jacob's well. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 19, Paul tells us in Christ is all the fullness of God. Go to Jesus. If you're finding yourself in, in this state where you're hungry, where you're thirsty, where you are needy, go to Jesus. He's beckoning us to come. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And here's the best news. John's Gospel in chapter 6 and verse 37. Whoever comes, I will in no wise cast out. You come with all of your excess baggage, all of the stink, all of the junk, all of the sin, you know? You come exactly the way that you are. You don't have to clean yourself up. That's his business. Let God's Holy Spirit do that in your life. You come exactly the way that you are that you are I love Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 1 we're there concerning God we are told he says receive from God or receive from him without money and without cost it's not going to cost you anything that is material things it'll cost you your life <laughs> we forget to remember that because that's what you're that's what's involved you're surrendering your life but there's no money there's no cost isn't it amazing the way people are lining up today to pay these extravagant fees and, you know, to, to take some class and, you know, to find out the meaning of life and, and uh, it's so crazy. And they, all they're doing is getting ripped off, really, is what they're doing. And God says to us in Isaiah 55 and verse 1, receive from me without money, without cost. And so listen, this is where we're going to end. Worship team, come on back up. If famine has you in its grasp, What do you need to do? You need to go to Jesus and then do what Jesus tells you to do. And what has he told us to do? Well, in the scriptures, simply surrender your life. Confess confess your sins. Confess him as your Lord and Savior. Receive him as your personal Lord and Savior. That's what you need to do. Now, I don't know everyone that's here this morning. I know that we have some visitors. I suspect that you guys are Christians. But, you know, I I just want to make sure. I, I don't want anyone to walk out of this building without being sure of the fact that, God forbid, if something should happen to you, you would know where you were going throughout all of eternity. I would be remiss if I didn't challenge you to make a decision for Christ if you haven't already. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, if you would, and pray with me, agree with me in prayer for any that might be here this morning who's never made that decision for Christ as a personal Lord and Savior. Or maybe there's someone here this morning who needs to make a recommitment of their life, make another decision, invite Christ to come and be. Maybe something has been going on and Christ has been placed on a shelf and uh, you're really more or less just going through the motions without the emotion, without the feelings, and you need to come back to Jesus
1: my father's house There's a place for me In my father's house Where I long to be
0: oh, my When something gets close to an ending, we naturally turn our attention to the beginning. When a child is about to graduate, we look at baby pictures. When a beloved spouse of many years grows close to death, we go over the story of how we met. When we pack up our stuff and move away from a house, we remember the first times we walked in the door. And as we draw close to the end of days, it seems only fitting to return to in the beginning. We can watch as light is created in land and sea and all the creatures day and night in the sun and moon. And when we take a look at the glorious and amazing creation of the world, we can remember that it's the same God from the beginning who is ruling over the end. We can watch in awe, remembering that the end is also good news as we eagerly await His return. And here at In My Father's House, we're so glad you've decided to spend your day with us. In My Father's House is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Midtown Manhattan. It's easy to get here with access from Port Authority and Penn Station on 34th. We'd love to see you. Pop over to our website, harvestnyc.org, to find times and so much more. And if you feel compelled to partner with this ministry financially, there's a link for that as well. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. While you're there, take a look around to find additional audio, a link to our Vimeo and podcasts. That's all we have time for today. We've loved spending time with you, and we can't wait to meet up with you again. See you next time here in My Father's House.